You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Don't screw up. <laughs> For all of you guys that saw the blooper reel uh, the other day, that was embarrassing, but it was fun. Okay, so we're live. Episode 42 of Ask Concussion Doc. Thank you guys for joining us today, uh, or if you're listening on any future day. This episode is Distinguishing Concussion Signs and Symptoms from Red Flags. Uh, first off, a disclaimer, I don't want this to be constituted as medical advice. This, is, this episode is meant for healthcare professionals as a refresher to help them to better identify red flag issues and know when to promptly refer a patient with a concussion to the emergency department to get a CT scan or other type of investigation. Um, For anyone listening, the rule of thumb is that if you are at all unsure, just send the patient to the hospital or if it's you and you're at all unsure just go to the hospital they'll be able to um, hopefully provide you with the right type of care at the hospital um, or seek care from another licensed healthcare provider okay so this episode is signs and symptoms of concussion versus red flag signs and symptoms so a sign is something that you can see so it's observable from the patient Uh, And we'll talk about some examples of that. A symptom is something that the patient reports to you, such as, I have a headache. Uh, You won't be able to see the patient's headache, but you might see the patient go unconscious. So that is a sign. Loss of consciousness is a sign. Headache would be a symptom. So that's kind of the difference between the two. So here are some signs of concussion injury. So I'm going to cover concussion first, and then I'm going to go into talking about the red flag issues afterwards. So, signs of a concussion. Loss of consciousness is a sign of concussion. It's very rare though. Less than 10% of concussions actually result in a loss of consciousness. So if somebody does not have a loss of consciousness, this does not mean that they don't have a concussion. Seizures, also very rare, but is a sign that there's potentially a concussion that has occurred. Having a blank or vacant stare, so sometimes you look at a patient after they've had a concussion on the sidelines of a sporting event and you're speaking to them and they're just kind of not seeing anything. They're just blankly staring off into space. Sign of a possible concussion. Delayed verbal or motor responses, so they're slow to answer questions, slow to follow instructions. Confusion, inability to focus their attention. Uh, disorientation like they pick up the ball and they go the wrong way Um, you know that's that's a sign that there's been a concussion possibly slurred speech uh, gross observable in coordination so if they get up and they're stumbling and they're off balance um, inability to walk in tandem these are all signs something that you as an observer can observe so if you're watching TV and you see a football player get hit on the field and they get up and they're off balance you know, you can, everyone at home can pretty much pick out that that's a sign of a possible concussion. That player should be removed and evaluated. Uh, becoming emotional, sometimes people will just cry uncontrollably and it seems like there's no real reason behind it. Uh, and then memory deficit, so uh, the inability to remember, you know, uh, certain words that you've provided them or actually having 
true memory impairment where they don't remember the entire first half of the game. So that's more of the post-traumatic amnesia uh, side of things. But those are signs that a concussion um, may have taken place, okay? Separate that from the symptoms of a concussion. So there's 22 main symptoms that show up on the versions of the SCAT, which is the Sport Concussion Assessment Tool. Um, each of these 22 symptoms is typically rated from zero to six by uh, the athlete or the patient. Um, the symptoms are headache, pressure in the head, neck pain, nauseousness or vomiting, dizziness, blurred vision, balance problems, sensitivity to light, sensitivity to noise, feeling slowed down, uh, feeling of fogginess, not feeling right or not feeling like yourself, difficulty concentrating, difficulty remembering, fatigue or low energy, confusion, drowsiness, trouble falling asleep, more emotional, irritability, sadness, nervous, or anxious. So each one of these symptoms is generally asked to a person suspected of having a concussion and we usually get them to rate each of these symptoms from zero to six in terms of their severity. Six is the worst they could ever possibly imagine. Zero is I'm currently not experiencing that symptom. So we go through the list, we ask them to rate each one of these. The problem with this list and relying on somebody to report their symptoms to you is that people might withhold this, right? They might not be so forthright with their symptoms, particularly if it's a sporting event and they wanna get back and play. So that's where paying attention as a sideline medical personnel to the game and being able to see some of these signs and pick something up uh, is very, very important uh, to making your initial sideline diagnosis. Um, symptoms, you're relying on the person to report that. So that's a bit tougher. Okay. So that is the signs and symptoms of concussion. Now, we get into red flag issues. The biggest concern around concussion is not concussion. I'm gonna say that again. The biggest concern around concussion is not concussion. What we're more concerned about is something more serious than a concussion. Concussion by itself is not a fatal event. Mismanagement of concussion can be, so it's important that we can recognize and pull people out. But in the initial stages, the things that are potentially fatal, potentially very serious, are the things we want to rule out. So things like bleeding in the brain, uh, swelling of the brain, skull fractures, even detaching of the retina in your eye is very serious. You have to get that taken care of very quickly. Neck fractures, okay, a, a, a fracture to your neck, which can happen with concussion because it's a lot of force going through your head, which is then going to obviously move your neck and put your neck under a lot of force as well. So that's what we're most concerned about when we have a concussion patient in the initial assessment and within that first you know, 24 to 48 hour period, our concern is the other really bad stuff, not necessarily the concussion itself. So our focus is ruling that out. And the way that tip is, this is typically done is through special imaging, MRIs and CT scans. Although these imaging modalities cannot see a concussion, that's not what they're meant for. What they're meant for is to see something else like structural damage, like a fracture, like bleeding in the brain, like swelling. Okay, that's what that's why you would get an MRI or a CT scan at the hospital. They're not going to give you a CT scan to try and see if there's a concussion. And if any doctor tells you we looked at your CT scan and it shows that you don't have a concussion, they're full of crap because you can't see a concussion on a CT scan. So there's no reason to even look for it. 
But what they would do is if they have reason to believe that you might have a bleed or a fracture or something along those lines, they will give you a CT scan. So who should we be getting this imaging on? Who should we be referring to the ER immediately? These are the red flag issues that I'm going to talk to you about now. So the imaging of choice typically in these acute stages is not necessarily MRI because MRI takes a little bit longer to get and it's more expensive. CT scan is quick, it's less expensive, and it's good at picking up fractures and bleeds. It's very good at picking up bone for fracture and it's very good at picking up bleeding. So CT is generally the imaging modality of choice in the initial few days after a concussion. The downside of CT scan is that there's exposure to radiation. So we don't want to just get everybody going on CT scans because that's a lot of radiation delivered to people's brains, which can be harmful, especially if you've had a number of them. So because of that, researchers in the States and Canada and all over the world have developed these kind of clinical prediction tools to help us decide who should and should not get a CT scan in the emergency department. So the two main um, tools are uh, the New Orleans criteria, which was developed in the United States, and there's one in Canada called the Canadian CT Head Rule. Both of these tools, when compared head-to-head, -head, generally show that the Canadian CT Head Rule is a little bit better at determining who should get the CT scans as the New Orleans criteria is more sensitive, is meaning it picks up more people, but it means more people get CT scans, but those CT scans tend to be more negative than actually showing findings. And so when you put the two rules together, Canadian CT head rule seems to, so far at least in the literature, um, be superior to the New Orleans criteria. However, they're a little bit different, and so at complete concussion management at least, we utilize both of them because we want to try and cast a wide net so that anybody coming into any one of our clinics, if we're picking up any type of red flag, whether it be on, the, on one rule or the other, we're going to send them to the emergency department regardless. And we'll let the emergency room doctors figure out if this person might have something more serious than a concussion. We deal in concussion. We don't deal in anything more severe than that. And so that's kind of our criteria of when to refer a patient is if they have any of these signs or symptoms. Okay, getting into the rules. The New Orleans criteria. I'm going to have some coffee. I always have this cup here, and I don't think I ever drink from it. But anyway. Okay, first off is the New Orleans criteria. CT scan is required for patients with minor head injury with any one of the following findings. Now this applies to people with a Glasgow Coma Scale of 15, which means they have a full Glasgow Coma Scale, uh, 15 out of 15. So this is people that come in, they're alert, they're awake, they don't have any type of, um, you know, they're not, they're not slow thinking, they, they're alert and, and everything is, is there. They seem like they're fine, okay? So that's, this is the patient population we're talking about. This isn't people coming in unconscious. This is people coming in fully alert, under their own power, answering questions, there you go. So, New Orleans criteria says if you have a headache, you should be going to the ER. I think that one's a little bit extreme. That one is one I take a little bit of liberty with. I'm not going to refer every concussion patient with a headache to go to the ER. I think that's a little bit ridiculous. But if any of the following are there, I'll start to think about it a little more seriously. Vomiting. So they use any vomiting. Um, there's vomiting also in the Canadian CT head rule, but they say two or more episodes of vomiting 
I cut it off at one. If you've had a head injury and you vomited, I'm going to send you to the hospital just to let them deal with it. Um, being older than 60 years old, having drug or alcohol intoxication at the time of injury, having persistent enterograde amnesia. Enterograde amnesia is the inability to form new memories. So the incident happens and you've taken the player off the field or you've taken them by ambulance let's say to the hospital or they come into your clinic and they are asking people around them why am i here what happened or they say i don't even remember the rest of the game you're right i got hit at you know in the first half i don't even remember the entire second half of the game well that right there is anterograde amnesia they're not forming new memories they're alert, they're conscious, you're talking to them, they're asking you questions, but they keep repeating the same questions by saying, what am I doing here anyway? That is obvious anterograde amnesia, the inability to form new memory after the accident. Um, and I would say persistent, anything, if they're still asking questions half an hour later, uh, I'm taking them to the ER. Visible trauma above the clavicle. So anything above the collarbone that's visible as, as trauma. Okay, there's cuts, there's bruises, there's you know uh, massive hematomas and things like that. Uh, or the last one, if they've had a seizure. So to go through that again, CT is required for patients with minor head injury with any one of the following findings. Headache, vomiting, older than 60 years old, drug or alcohol intoxication, persistent anterograde amnesia, visible trauma above the clavicle and seizures. So you can see how that casts a fairly wide net, which for me and trying to make sure that my patients are gonna be safe, I think that's fine. So I we do use that. Canadian CT head rule. CT is only required for patients with a minor head injury with any one of the following. Following, patients with minor head injury who present a Glasgow coma scale of between 13 and 15, so they're allowing it to be their Glasgow coma scale to be a little bit lower, 13 out of 15, which is still in the mild traumatic brain injury category, still in the concussion category, after a witness loss of consciousness, amnesia, or confusion. So if they have a witness loss of consciousness, amnesia, or confusion, then if they have any one of the following things, it's CT scan. Glasgow coma scale lower than 15 after two hours or more. So if it's two hours and they're still um, you know, not all with it, being slow to answer questions um, or a little bit confused or disoriented, that would be grounds for a CT scan. Suspected skull fracture. So things that kind of tip you off to a skull fracture, um, bleeding in the ears, uh, uh, cerebral spinal fluid in the ears, raccoon eyes, meaning two black eyes, um, or CSF coming through the nose. Uh, any signs of basal skull fracture, so the kind of the area at the back of the head, uh, the signs of that is bruising of the mastoid process. So the mastoid is this big bone right at the back, right behind your ear. Uh, getting a bruise on that is called battle's sign, and that is sign of a basal skull fracture, and that is obviously CT scan. Two or more episodes of vomiting, being 65 years or older, so the New Orleans criteria said 60 years or older, this one says 65 or older, Amnesia before impact. So now we're going retrograde amnesia. So retrograde amnesia is you, ha you can't remember the events leading up to the injury itself. 
and tarot grade as you can't remember the the things that happen from the injury moving forward so retrograde amnesia of 30 or more minutes in canada means ct and tarograde amnesia of a couple hours in the u.s means ct so basically for us uh, as you know, healthcare professionals, making sure we're doing the right thing. If anyone comes in and they can't remember 30 minutes before or 30 minutes after the event, send them to the ER. Dangerous mechanism. So dangerous mechanism of injury is defined as a pedestrian struck by a vehicle, an occupant ejected from a vehicle, a fall from an elevation of three or more feet, or a fall from five or more stairs. So that is what consider, is considered a dangerous mechanism. So I'll do Canadian CT head rule again. CT is only required for patients with minor head injury with any one of the following. Patients with minor head injury who present with a Glasgow coma scale of between 13 and 15 after a witnessed loss of consciousness, amnesia, or confusion. If their GCS is lower than 15 at two or more hours. If they have a suspected skull fracture, if they have any signs of a basal skull fracture, if they have two or more episodes of vomiting, if they're 65 years or older, if they have amnesia before the impact of 30 or more minutes, or if they have a dangerous mechanism, which is being struck by a vehicle, being ejected from a vehicle, or a fall from an elevation of three or more feet or five stairs. Those are the two criteria. Uh, just to kind of reiterate some of the signs of skull fracture, obviously if there's an open and visible fracture, <laughs> that is a sign of a skull fracture. Uh, a palpable discrepancy in the bony contour. So if you're feeling along and there's a, there's a ridge, you know, there's a, there's a displacement of, of tissue, you feel that? A discrepancy in the bony contour, that's obvious that there's been a skull fracture. Um, uh, bruising behind the ears, so the technical term is post-auricular ecchymosis, which is battle sign, that's what I mentioned earlier. Periorbital ecchymosis, which is bruising around the eyes, also known as raccoon eyes, if they're dark around the eyes. Bloody ear discharge, cerebral spinal fluid being drained from the nose or ears. Facial paralysis, nystagmus, meaning the eyes are flickering. They're not staying still, they're flickering side to side and moving. Uh, paresthesia, meaning numbness or tingling, having an abnormal pupillary reflex. So when you shine a light in someone's eye, their pupil should constrict um, after concussion. And this is actually can be normal up to the first kind of hour or two, but their pupil might stay dilated or, or not constrict. And you'll also have sometimes people will have unequal pupil size. So they have one pupil that's small and they have one really big one. Um, we used to cover Taekwondo tournaments all the time when I was in my sport residency and uh, you know obviously there's a lot of concussions in Taekwondo someone get kicked in the head or something like that and you'd go and look at you go and look at the person and they got this big giant pupil and they got this little tiny one on the other side uh, and so there's a discrepancy between the two pupils that is kind of a normal sign it's it's an obvious sign that there's been a, been a concussion or some sort of neurological impact there uh, but that will generally resolve. If that doesn't resolve in the, in the next hour or two, then I would be sending that person to the emergency department. Uh, vomiting and altered mental state. So those are signs of skull fracture. Open fracture, palpable discrepancy, post-auricular ecchymosis, periorbital ecchymosis, bloody discharge, CSF drainage from the nose or ears, facial paralysis, nystagmus, paresthesia, abnormal pupillary reflex, vomiting, an altered mental state. So if they have any of these, or if they have any signs on your cranial nerve or cerebellar testing, they should be referred to the nearest emergency department. That covers 
intracranial issues and cranial pathologies. The other thing we have to be concerned about is neck fractures. So because concussion is acceleration of the head, obviously there's going to be a tremendous amount of force that's also going through the neck, which leaves you open to having a neck fracture. Obviously neck fractures are going to be very serious, potential paralysis, potential death, depending on the level that they're at. So we want to be very sure about this. So this, this is what's called the Canadian C-spine rules, which are what we use to determine who should get an x-ray of the neck. So this rule is meant for people, again, that have a Glasgow Coma Scale of 15 out of 15, so they're fully alert and conscious, uh, and they're stable trauma patients where cervical spine injury is a concern. Obviously, if they're unstable or their GCS is lower or they're unconscious, they're probably just going to give them an x-ray to be safe anyway. Uh, but this is for people that are alert and conscious and we're concerned that there may be a neck injury involved. So there's three parts to this. And it's generally if part one, if you fail part one, you get an x-ray. If you pass part one, you move on to part two. If you fail part two, you get an x-ray. If you pass part two, you move on to part three. If you fail part three, you get an x-ray. So any of these parts along the path, if you fail them, you get an x-ray. If not, and you pass everything, you get no x-ray. So this is kind of a, a checklist of for, for ER docs to follow. So part one, if they are aged 65 years or older, or if they have a dangerous mechanism, which what I said before is the same dangerous mechanism, pedestrian struck by a vehicle, occupant ejected from a vehicle, or a fall from an elevation of three or more feet or five stairs. So age 65 or older, or dangerous mechanism, or paresthesias, meaning numbness tingling, into the extremities. If they have yes to any one of those three, then they get an x-ray. So if they've been involved in some sort of trauma and they're 65 years or older, they should probably get an x-ray just based on bone density and, and everything else. Uh, medication use that can leach calcium from bones, etc. If they've had a dangerous mechanism, get an x-ray. Or if they have any numbness in their extremities, they get an x-ray. If they don't have any of those three, they move on to part two. So part two is a little bit different because this one, if they answer no to any of these following questions, they get an x-ray. If they answer yes to all of them, they move on to part three. So was the, if it was a motor vehicle accident, was it a simple rear end collision? Meaning, was it just a little fender bender? If the answer is yes, well, then you move on to the next question. If the answer is no, meaning it was a more serious collision, they get an x-ray. So this excludes being pushed into oncoming traffic, being hit by a bus slash large truck, a rollover, or being hit by a high-speed vehicle. So if you're in a, in a collision and it's any of those ones, um, that doesn't count. That means you get an x-ray. <laughs> um, are they able to sit up in the emergency department? Meaning, are they sitting up or are they lying down on a gurney unable to sit up under their own power? If they are not able to sit up, they get an x-ray. If they are, they don't. Ambulatory, meaning they can walk around uh, at any time. Delayed onset of neck pain, meaning if the, if the onset of neck pain is immediate, then x-ray if the onset of neck pain is delayed then no x-ray absence of midline c-spine tenderness so if you feel down the midline of somebody's neck you can feel the bony prominences the spinous processes that stick out if any of those are tender to push on then that person should get an x-ray okay so if they answer no to any of these simple rear end collision are they able to sit uh, or were they ambulatory at any time? Did they have a delayed onset of neck pain? 
absence of c-spine tenderness if no to any one of those they should get an x-ray if yes to all of them they move on to part three and part three is are they able to rotate their neck side to side in each direction by 45 degrees or more or do they get blocked at a certain point and they can't rotate any more than 10 degrees if they can rotate fully 45 degrees or more in each direction uh, that means no radiographs if they've gone through everything else and you've passed the rule. If they can't rotate it, then they go and get x-rays. Now, the way that we use this is on the sidelines so that if a patient gets hit and they're down on the field and you're going out there as a first responder or an AT, the first thing we do is we stabilize the neck so that they're not, you know, not moving. And then we kind of start asking them some questions like, you know, do you have any pain, numbness, tingling into your arms or legs? Um, are you, um, you know, are you able to wiggle your fingers? Do you have motor, you know, function of your arms uh, and and feet? So you get them starting in the in the smaller portions and then gradually building up, and then you start feeling around the back of their neck and you start pushing on the spinous processes. Do any of these cause you know a lot of pain? And are any of them very tender? If they are tender, well, then we keep them there and we call, you know, the ambulance to come and transport them to the hospital. If those aren't tender, then we try to see, okay, can we, can they rotate their head in either direction? So we kind of remove our, st our, our stabilization. We say, can you rotate your head to the left? And if they can get more than 45 degrees, they come back to middle. Okay, can you rotate your head to the right? Okay, good. Now you've just done your checklist for C-spine fractures and you've ruled it out. Now you help them to sit up. Okay? And then you can get them from sitting to standing and they can walk off the field. But that initial part, when you go out there, you don't know what's taking place. They could have a neck fracture. And so that's why it's important to kind of stabilize and run through a particular checklist to make sure you rule that out before you try to get them up to walk off the field. Um, so that's it. That's a heavy one, I think. I think that's a lot of information for people. Uh, but hopefully, you know, you learn something. So. The biggest thing I want to kind of bring back is that, you know, the big concern around concussion is not necessarily the concussion itself. It's looking for something more serious. Once you've ruled out that everything else more serious is off the list, well, now you're just dealing with concussion. And now you can take people through the proper steps for returning back to work and school and then eventually back into returning back to their sport. Um, if you go to the hospital and you don't get a CT scan, um, the reason is probably because the, they ran this checklist and they didn't feel that you were you were a risky enough candidate to get one so don't necessarily feel bad about that but if any of this stuff starts happening then I would be returning to the hospital and kind of demanding it because there might be something that's been missed and that type of stuff happens all the time um, anyway so this is available on YouTube uh, if you guys listen to it on podcasts it's on SoundCloud it's on um, it's on Apple podcasts so, you know, you can re-listen to it, you can take notes, you can do whatever. You can also look this stuff up. If you look up Canadian C-spine rule or New Orleans criteria, you'll be able to find a list of all that stuff. Canadian C-spine rules is another thing we talked about today. So, um, there you have it. All right. See you guys later. Any questions, actually? I'll do concussion doc to see if there's any questions. So if anyone's watching right now and they want to ask me some questions straight up, you can come over to concussion doc. Uh, I'll stay live for another five minutes or so uh, and answer any questions that people may have. For everyone else, cheers. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. 
Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.